I'm Delvin Solkinson. I'm a permaculture teacher and community gardener, and now I work for a nonprofit arts organization as a full-time volunteer on the board of directors and in the media lab, and I'm the senior managing editor of Cosm Journal of Visionary Culture. Welcome to the new season of the ETA podcast. I'm your host, Sven Goivarts. For this episode, we travel to New York State, where we meet up with Delvin Solkinson, the Yoda of permaculture. You must unlearn what you have learned. Yeah, maybe we need to like introduce permaculture shortly. Sure. Um, for some, this is still a new concept. You know, what is it? Um, what is permaculture? And to go immediately into what is maybe the purpose of biz for business in a business context. Um, would you? Uh, yeah, I mean, permaculture is less of a thing or a specific set of techniques or strategies and it's like a clearinghouse we call it here it's like a collection of best practices top tips and do's and don'ts uh, in relation to design that have been collected from traditional peoples and understandings and modern scientific understandings it's kind of an umbrella for all things sustainable for anything that cares for the planet cares for people and cares for the future yep. and it's interesting to see because the environmental crisis is becoming the context in which we're doing business yep. and there's an enormous growing interest in the marketplace to be green mm -hmm. to care for the planet to care for people you know if you're if you're doing fair trade or you're supporting a small organic farm in any capacity um, if you're hiring someone fairly or if your product even if your product doesn't or service doesn't damage the earth mm -hmm. even that alone is like a whole driver for like let's promote that and put that at the front of our marketing campaign yeah, like yeah. our stuff's biodegradable which basically means it's not like harming things like even just not harming things is enough yep. so in business, there's the, I mean, there's the negative dark side businesses, like how can we capitalize this on this, like the green wash? How can we like make our product look green, even if like all it's doing is like not poisoning things or something. But then there's the real opportunity for ethical business that truly do have values where their product actually benefits a community and a certain amount goes to replant trees and benefits yeah. the environment. And I think increasingly in light of this like cultural crisis that we're in, there's a lot of people that want to support companies that are addressing these pressing planetary concerns. Yeah, um, if, I, if I have one thing coming into my mind, it's now that money is not a part of nature, or, or is it? Like it doesn't grow on the field or in trees. So, um, <clears throat> particularly here looking out at the forest and this question of like how does permaculture we call it permanomics 
how does permaculture understand the design for exchange in nature? And of course, the simple answer is that, you know, there's a gift economy where the things are not totally being tracked and recorded in the same way. Yeah. Um, one of my mentors, uh, who's a teacher on my course, Bruno Vernier, he has studied from Michael Linton and a lot of the economic people. So I bring him in to do the, the piece on money, but he kind of describes a spectrum we're talking about the sacred woman it's like a spectrum from male and female yin and yang currencies and uh, the male kind of currency it's not really male but that's edge of the spectrum as a symbol national currency works really well in an environment of scarcity and fear and uh, is kind of comes from a hoarding mentality kind of builds trust through force in a certain way but it's really effective in situations where you don't trust each other. Build trust through force. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you don't trust each other, like you don't know people. So it's like, oh, I'm going to buy something from the store. I don't know the owner. I'm going to buy something from another country online. I don't know who they are. It, it really works well for that. It also works well for like buying large things, um, you know, buying a house or something like that. But in situations where you do trust each other, the uh, the more feminine currencies, which are complementary currencies or community currencies, or even on a household level, we could call microcurrencies. Mm-hmm. And uh, in relation to nature's design, these things kind of are not accounted. Nope. There's not as much accounting involved that, because it's an environment of trust. It's a little bit more of a free form exchange, but there is an exchange. It's not just like everyone's giving without paying any attention. There's a every gift comes with sort of some kind of expectation and that's the bond of trust and you can break that trust and then the person's not necessarily gonna um you know necessarily cut the lawn every single week you know if you've broken the trust that you're not actually doing the dishes in the kitchen or whatever um but i i may may want to like venture out into the dark side here uh uh-huh because as you say nature has these uh, there's there's a transactions that are like rooted in in, in a, a form of trust. That's already putting it fairly. That's already kind of ideological, maybe because yeah. because in nature you could say there's also domination and mm-hmm. suppression. There is. I mean, it's that you're right, and it is totally part of it. Um, and there's still violence and there's still kind of aggression for sure out there. But the idea that the gifts that are being given from the earth to plants and animals, um, maybe trust is the wrong word. It manifests in trusting environments, community currencies in the human world, but in nature, it's maybe not as much trust or distrust. It's more just like, it's like abundance thinking, I guess. The mm-hmm. trust is just like, hey, everything is totally being given and there's an there's enough for all of the creatures yep. and some of them bicker or compete for certain small resources but that's mostly because we've cut down so much of the forest because really you know all the squirrels here they are sure to find a nut <laughs> without another squirrel <laughs> guarding it but these complementary currencies on a household level and i highly recommend you know trying this say in your business i mean it works great in schools too but in your business you can have a situation where you're giving people bonuses in yeah. your own currency and that currency is not exchangeable for money but it may be exchangeable for benefits yep. maybe each uh sort of 
biz dollar equals an hour off or something like that, you yeah. know, or a 15 minute longer lunch for two weeks or, or whatever it is. Or a prescription to the gym, for instance. Sure. Yeah. yeah and then things. you're rewarding and doing exchanges without having to give pay, you know, have it all be in money and you're creating a certain trust that like, hey, you will provide them with that, that time off or whatever it is. And you can incentivize, reward and support yep. people that you're interacting with without just, you know, the money thing. You know, I wanted to say one more thing about the money too, because here we were talking last night about Appleseed and this regenerative yep. enterprise. Mm -hmm. One of the concepts that they've discussed is capital. It's sort of the force and goal and function of a lot of business. It's like, how can we achieve capital? And mostly we talk about capital as like financial capital or material capital for the most part. It's like stuff and things or just hard cold cash. Um, but in terms of what's valuable in the human world, there's experiential capital that you get from having great experiences like we're having together now. You know, there's social capital that you get from having networks, from being connected to lots of people. Um, you know, there's all these different forms of capital, skills, you know, emotional capital, spiritual capital, where you have meaningful experiences that like fill your life with a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, mostly the function of money is actually to try and help support you to achieve the other types of capital that actually matter. Natural capital is another one of yep. the natural world, you know, and that what people are seeking health, happiness, community, meaning, you know, um, a sense of purpose that can't be bought with money. But oftentimes we kind of Oh, I'm going to get money so I can fly to this place so that I can learn from this teacher and then I'll gain some kind of experiential capital. And you can do it that way, but it's the complicated, not efficient way to do it, to work a whole bunch, get money and then go and, you know, and get the other type of capital through money. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the permaculture, you know, in light of nature and, you know, the capital types of capital in nature, which are a lot more fundamental in terms of biomass and nutrient and habitat and shade. Um, all the needs of the plants and animals and everything are totally being provided in this sort of gifting economy, we could call it, that is based on fulfilling all their needs just like we are, but there's no money involved. So, you know, there's a piece of graffiti in Paris that I always think about, it said, if there was no money, we'd all be rich. Yep. <laughs> Obviously. Let's it's go over to another side for a view. I don't know, that was a bit of a rant, but... In the second part of this conversation, we'll go into some of the more practical applications of the permaculture philosophy, such as Delvin's Permaculture Design Deck, a card game that took 16 years to make. You know, this podcast is also meant to inspire managers right to uh, to 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 have a different uh, perspective on things and to help them in uh, how they can make better decisions in business and maybe I just need to get back to the cards that mm -hmm, you developed mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just for yourself do you use those cards to be grounded every day in these concepts and do you 
like get them out and use them for yourself or what kind of practice do you have with those cards that's an interesting question yeah i think the biggest part was creating the cards over the last 16 years and redesigning them over and over and rewriting them over and over and getting them translated into different languages was just part of my learning the concepts because it's like in permaculture when you make a map a detailed map and you take the time to write it all out and this could be a map of your business as well through that process not only do you get a little holistic glimpse into your business but you also kind of learn more about it and you embed the learning a little bit deeper but I do use it for curriculum in classes for games I've been really interested in gamifying education and this fits in the business working space too because it's like how can you run meetings it doesn't always need to be done in the same linear format like how can you bring creativity and run meetings in a way that makes them exciting and and breeds a certain type of creativity and collaboration between the people so it doesn't feel like it's always just a bunch of individuals and each person has their thing they're reporting on and maybe there's a few ideas generated um mm -hmm. so how to turn like a powerpoint into a interactive discussion or even a game where people are thinking about things in a new way, having a visual element, having a written element, having a verbal element, but having everyone participating and engaged. Yeah. You know, I think people have a tendency sometimes to think about what they're going to say next or how they feel about what you're saying yep. instead of actually fully listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you were really <laughs> careful yesterday in... in, in, in in uh in saying that to people like make sure that you're listening when you're not speaking i'm i'm also a word person and somehow i i find it necessary to put like an experience into words in order to really not have it pass but like to get some teachings out of it somehow so having been here yesterday evening was was very powerful as an event and I was talking to Mike, it was, about, yeah, about this specific location and how the, the, the unusual experience that you have here m might be tied to certain energy lines converging at this location, which is then added by an event organized on top of the location because then it brings even more people in from the outside and you have this like yeah build-up of energy convergence but you travel often to other sites as well of permaculture initiatives so i was wondering do you have a feeling that there are certain special locations in itself or you don't really believe in such things. I mean, I do love to go to sacred sites. That's kind of a hobby of mine. But, you know, from a permaculture perspective, if I can kind of spin in a certain way, uh, Mark Lakeman in Portland started a movement called Placemaking. And it's a application of permaculture to designing shared and public places. And part of it's a study in simplicity of how adding certain elements to your business lobby or the courtyard outside your building or, you know, uh, any 
piece of land that people can access can really create and engender relationships and opportunities for people to meet and connect. There's a whole chapter in the folio about placemaking, right? Yeah, actually, totally. So this, we're standing in this uh, ornate uh, Haida-inspired st uh, steel-cut sort of gazebo temple, and you can stand around at the bottom or you can climb up onto a little balcony that has a little view of the woodland that surrounds us. And so we've really thought about that here. There's a gate, the angel gates that we're looking out at that um, we will work on. These are kind of archetypes for placemaking. Yep. Like the entry gate, places to sit or stand or places to stop and muse. There's a lot of art installations and statues and stuff around the property. How can we add elements that instead of having people just going from home to work, from home to work, that have people pause or have a little bit of an experience either privately or an opportunity to meet someone else who's also kind of on the path. So we kind of made a wisdom path around the property and it's for people's health, but it's also to connect them with the natural world. And we're working on adding more sort of benches and informal seating and tables so people could sit down and maybe do a little bit of work, whether that's, you know, maybe creative work, they're making a piece of art or writing a letter to someone, or maybe it's their business work where they're like, oh, I need to, I'm going to ask for a raise, I'm going to write the letter or whatever, you know, and, so, and uh, it's a lot about how to create inspiring contexts that take people out of their ordinary yeah. every day. I think I have a... Uh... I was just looking at my notes, looking at some tools and, and methodologies. You mentioned a uh, rose thorn bud principle. Oh, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. That's hilarious that you keyed in on that. I don't know how you did. This morning I was like, I'm going to talk about that. This is a um, permaculture methodology. It's utilized a lot by the Permaculture uh, Association of the UK. Mm -hmm. I learned it from Rosemary Morrow. They actually don't call it roses, thorns, and buds. That's actually from Waldorf education, from Rudolf Steiner. Oh, yeah. But uh, the idea is, as a design method, whenever you do anything, really, like we just took a class together, and uh, I did that immediately after the class, you ask these three questions. What is going really well. Like, let's do it for a business. You might ask a business person, like, what's going really well with your business? What's successful? And of course, when we identify the successes, we can play to strengths, we can reinforce those successes, we can replicate them, maybe even scale up mm -hmm. if appropriate. And then, the, that's the rose. The thorn is what's not going well. Yep. What's not going well with your business? What are the weak links? Because everything's only as strong as its weakest link ultimately. You know, in your staff, in your marketing, in your strategic media, you know, your website, your client relations, what is not going well? And that's a real, that's the big opportunity for growth because you, you know, you have an opportunity to redesign those sectors or vectors of your business mm -hmm. if they're not going well and then there's buds which is 
how could you do it differently? How could you, in light of your strengths and in light of your weaknesses, in light of your successes and in light of your failings, how can you design the way you do business in a way that's more effective, maybe more efficient, hopefully more ethical too. And that might involve some shuffling around. So it's kind of a way you can do you as on any scale, you can totally use that checking in one-on-one with people in your business, or you could do that as a a report in a way to in a really concise way report in with people in your group that hey how's it going what's going well <laughs> what's challenging and how are you gonna do things differently moving forward based on these insights and it really just brings attention to the learning opportunities like Permaculture is a lot just about becoming more conscious, becoming more intentional designers and really paying attention. And oftentimes life's moving so quick, we kind of let these opportunities flow by. But this idea is like, stop. It's the document piece. (laughs) Don't just let it go by. Document it. What did you learn? How can you share that learning? How can you integrate that learning into, you know, your next level? Uh, It's like always being a student in some ways, because that's what students do ultimately. Thank you for tuning into the ETA podcast. To find all necessary resources tied to Delvin's research, go to visionarypermaculture.com. Check out Delvin's Permaculture Design Certificate course this year. It starts in summer, September 6th, 7th and 8th, and it's hosted at COSM in Hudson Valley, New York. Be sure to tune in next time and have a great day.